0: I'm Mark Gandy. This is CFO Bookshelf. Many, many moons ago, and I've lost count of them, when I took my first accounting course, my first professor, and he was a good one, he said, guys, accounting is a language of business. Well, when I wrapped up my career, my short one at KPMG, and then what was called McLattery in Poland, I worked on several acquisition projects, and I no longer considered accounting, the language of business instead i think the real truth is business or financial modeling is the language of business and it's a skill i think everyone should at least understand i'm thrilled to have on one of the top financial modelers around the globe his name is ian Snoor. ian is the president and founder of the marquee group and he's also one of the founders and the executive director of the Financial Modeling Institute, which you probably know as FMI. Don't worry, we're not going to get bogged down into the details, spreadsheets, or geeky terminology. We're going heavy on big ideas, concepts, and frameworks around business and financial modeling. Ian Snure, one of the rock stars in financial modeling, that's coming up next here on CFO Bookshelf. I made a really big mistake not too long ago on a recent podcast. I mentioned three people who would be in my financial modeling Hall of Fame. About two days after I interviewed Stephen Bailey, who is my third member in my financial modeling Hall of Fame, someone from Ian's team reached out to me, and after some, after some quick research, I realized, wait a minute, I need another wing for this financial modeling Hall of Fame, and it belongs to Ian Snuer. So the first question I had for him was, why the lack of decent financial modeling books, which are long and heavy on key concepts in all aspects of the business? Well,
1: it's very funny you say that. I thought about that many years ago. And what I ultimately ended up doing was not write the book, but create the video series. So we created the, the self-study video course, which is effectively, instead of the book, Um, it's an excellent comment to start. First of all, I think there's a couple of reasons. The word financial modeling means different things to different people. There are actually a few books professors have written on financial modeling. One, a famous one by Simon Beninga, which is used in a lot of business schools. But that's not what you and I would think of financial modeling.
0: What what is it, by the way?
1: Well, if you open up the – it's a textbook. And what Professor Beninga did brilliantly and has sold – you know hundreds of thousands, I think, copies of the book is effectively took a traditional corporate finance, introductory corporate finance class that he probably had taught for years and packaged it up under a sexy title called financial modeling. And suddenly it's much more scalable. So chapter one is on cost of capital. Chapter two is under um, derivative models. Chapter three is under Black-Scholes pricing model. So and it has statistical models. So it it's a book that has different chapters on academic types of models which are all in theory I guess financial models but it's not what we think of in 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 the world of finance and accounting is planning and forecasting tool of a company. So there are books like that. Um other books on modeling are okay. They're kind of littered with screenshots and they're they're not as robust as you would like. Um modeling is a very fun, a very um multidisciplinary skill and It hasn't been done well in a book format. I mean, there are some books, but not always as well as you'd like. And it doesn't always lend itself well to book format.
0: Two really strong opinions about financial modeling. Number one, and it's like my choir is going to be talking to your choir. Comment number one is, let's pretend like you're speaking to a big group and there are no financial leaders, no financial professionals in that big group. In my opinion, if you're talking to those men and women in the in in, in this setting, this is, financial modeling is the best way to learn a business inside and out. Agree, disagree?
1: My choir talks to your choir. I agree. It is. Uh, we we agree. I mean, financial modeling is. I I have had I have I've probably taught thirty thousand people over the past twenty years and a couple thousand days of training. And I've had I have had accountants tell me that by learning modeling help them understand accounting better than they ever learned it. There's no better way to learn and understand a business than by forcing yourself to model it because it forces you to think about every piece of the operations, every piece of the capital structure. Think about this, right, Mark? You know this because you you do you know accounting work. How many people in any organization truly understand all the pieces of a company from their sales to their pricing to their operating costs to their labor to their income tax position to their capital structure to their working capital very few that's right you're saying zero because people's roles are generally very compartmentalized the financial modeler is a rare person who has to have a very strong grasp of a full the full uh discipline the full the full system the full multidisciplinary system of what's going on in the entire organization so that a change up front will trickle through and impact a variety of other elements. And it's a very powerful discipline to understand how to do this and truly understand an entire business.
0: And you set me up for my next strong opinion. You you, you, you have read my mind. It leads to another strong opinion. I am officially old. I, I just woke up one day and, oh, I looked in the mirror and I'm, I'm old. So this next opinion comes from uh, old age. The other opinion is that Maybe we should quit calling it financial modeling. Now, you're saying, no, 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 I'd have to do a lot of rebranding, do do some name changing, some domain name changing as well. But I wish we'd start calling it business modeling for the reason you just stated, Mm -hmm. because in business modeling, you're not doing you don't have what's what I call component thinking. It's more systems thinking, marketing, sales, operations, capacity, uh, customer support. All of that feeds the financial model. Can, can you jump in and add to that?
1: Well, I, I, I actually, it's funny. There are a number of, there are a number of. There's a lot of terminology. There's a lot of nomenclature that has just been used and has passed the test of time, and it has come. And we're not going to change people's, you know, um, usage and linguistic approach at this point. But you're absolutely right. The term financial modeling is a very generic umbrella term that simply means taking something that exists in the real world and converting it into a virtual analysis within a spreadsheet. Typically, it doesn't even have to be a spreadsheet. It could be uh, another software tool like Python or R. Financial modeling just means creating a virtual representation of something real into a piece of software, but in the frame in the framework of the world of corporate finance, people that work in companies, people that are cFOs or doing corporate development or corporate lending or investment banking, for us, the term financial modeling is a more narrow term that represents the idea of forecasting and, and analyzing a company or it could be a project, but typically a full company and so we've uh, we have adopted and sort of uh stolen the phrase to represent a more narrow usage but as i mentioned earlier some of these textbooks that are called financial modeling that's actually probably a more accurate representation because they're more broad and more general but in my in our travels more people have come to appreciate the term means what you've said business modeling but i don't think the term is going to change anytime soon
0: people who are listening don't know this but i bet we spent 10, 15 minutes talking before we hit record. So what happens when two financial modelers or business modelers get together? We, 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 just, we, 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 we instantly like one another. We we want to know everyone's story. So one of the stories I've been, I've been dying to hear from you is how the heck did you get started? I already have a, I already, I'm pretty certain I know what happened when you saw your first financial model, but I want to know the. I want to know the beginning. I want to know your Clark Kent story, your Bruce Wayne story. How did this get started, and where and how has it evolved uh, through today? Yeah. We'll be right back.
1: Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? well it's uh thank you it's a, it's an interesting question i mean i I graduated university with an undergraduate degree in in business and finance and went off to work as an investment banker as an investment banking analyst and I did that for four years and this was in the you know in the late mid to late nineties when the whole idea of financial modeling was fairly new i mean excel you probably you know, you call yourself an old guy. I'm I'm, I'm probably the same as you. And you probably remember the term WYSIWYG. Remember that term from the Microsoft Excel yes. days? When WYSIWYG, yes. I will, just to help your readers who probably have no clue what I'm talking about, it's a phrase that stands for what you see is what you get. And that was a huge evolution in spreadsheets. Spreadsheets used to be black screens with white lines and it didn't look... The screen didn't look like what the printout was going to be on paper. Your screen was just black with white lines on it. And so the whole idea of WYSIWYG was when Microsoft came up with Excel, the screen could be made. You could change the fonts and the font size and the colors. And what you saw on your screen was exactly what it would look like on a piece of paper or as a PDF. And that was, that was monumental that because that meant that you could build tools that look beautiful and that were that. Felt like, um, that, that they were a piece of software. You were creating something beautiful, uh, that could be used as a spreadsheet and it could be adapted and molded and, and formatted nicely. And that happened in the early nineties. And so it was really only at that time when modeling as a discipline started to take off because it meant that every person with strong design skills and strong Excel skills and strong accounting could build powerful forecasting tools. So I was always very interested and attracted by that. When I started working in investment banking, I discovered that most financial models, I didn't feel good about them. Things that I inherited, they didn't work as well as I liked. And so many, many of my colleagues just accepted it and dealt with what they were given. And I always like to kind of sit back and say, no, I don't love that. How can we make that better? How can we make things clearer? How can we make it more transparent, more efficient, more organized? And that was something that I always thought about. And I got involved in doing a lot of financial modeling when I was in investment banking. And I spent six years as an investment banker. And when I left, Now, when I also, the other thing is when I was an investment banker, um, there was no such thing as external training firms. This was banks just trained their own people. So even though we worked 100 hours plus per week, they would say, hey, Ian, the new class is joining in July. Just can you just teach them as well? And so the way the new guys got hired trained sorry, the new the new class got trained by the existing bankers. Training them, and I was always one of the people that got tapped on the shoulder to train the incoming classes. So when I left banking after six years, I didn't want to go right back. I wanted to take a bit of a break, try something different. So I said to people, "Listen, um, I can build models for you that are more beautiful, more more efficient, that are more streamlined than what you've seen before, or I can teach you." But I didn't think there'd be much demand. I'll be honest, I really didn't think there'd be a whole lot of demand for training because nobody was doing it. But sure enough, as they say, timing is everything. And you got lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, one bank, I, I knew someone at a bank that said, hey, I, I think they're looking for someone to train. Will you We talked to them? And they met me. They heard that I had trained internally when I was in banking. And they said, sure, come on in and lead a course. And literally from that one day, um, the rest, as they say, is history. And from that day on the Marquee Group, the first company I created was born, because there was a lot of interest in formalized training around the discipline of financial modeling, how to build a beautiful, well-designed financial model of a company. Um, so I spent seven years kind of on my own. It, it grew very quickly. Ian,
0: can I yeah. interject real quickly? I love that website, the Marquee Group. I, I just I just wanted to tap the brake. I love that website. Well, thank you. I
1: appreciate that. That's kind of you. We've put a lot of thought and effort into trying to have it be... Aesthetic and clean and, and represent our brand and our colors and, um and have some content on it. And so thank you. Yeah, it is, it is the marquee group.com Q U E E group.com. And, um, and so that's a business that that I started 20 years ago to run training. We now want to, we now run a wide range of training programs in financial modeling, in advanced Excel courses. We teach accounting, we teach, we've moved into data sciences for, for finance professionals. And so, and we've got, you know, 20 people or so and a bunch of trainers, and we're training all over all over the world. I've been throughout. I've had the opportunity to teach all across North America, throughout Mexico, throughout Europe, throughout um, Asia. Just before COVID hit, I was teaching in Malaysia and Pakistan and Hong Kong, and so had a nice way to see the world that way. And 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 then about to finish the story around five years ago, it occurred to us that financial modeling was changing. It used to be a skill set that was sort of a, a very unique esoteric skill that a very small percentage of finance professionals needed to know. And it had evolved from being that skill that people figured out on their own to being something that banks and recruiters and companies wanted people to have before they would hire them. And so you might remember this around five, seven years ago on job postings, people would start to say, we want you to have MBA, CFA, and they started saying, and... We want people with strong modeling skills, proven modeling skills. That was new. And so everyone panicked. Um, Banker um, Students, business students panicked. Junior professionals panicked. They said, how do I prove my modeling skills? And what they would do is they would just attend a course. They would take a marquee group course or a course from some other training firm. But simply taking a course doesn't mean you actually have good skills. Having strong skills is is an act of practice and being able to validate your skills. Just taking a course in anything doesn't mean you're good at it. And we recognized that there was nowhere in the world where you could actually validate and truly prove that you had strong modeling skills. And we realized that there was a need for this globally. So we went off, a bunch of us And we decided to create a totally separate independent organization called the Financial Modeling Institute, the FMI, and that's fminstitute.com. And that is a completely separate organization. I'm heading that as up. We run it as a completely separate business with an independent team and our pure, think of it like, think of it like the CFA Institute or think of it like the CPA organization. Um, We are here to validate and accredit people's modeling skills. Our first level exam, if you pass it, it's called the AFM, the Advanced Financial Modeler. And if anyone ever gets the AFM designation because they pass our exam, I can guarantee that they have strong, excellent modeling skills because it means that they built up a financial model during the exam from scratch in under four hours with no internet and no resources they had a case study and a blank spreadsheet and they used best practices to build a world class financial model that was designed well that was had scenarios that was beautiful that was presented nicely that was integrated and the financial statements were all talking to each other properly and if anyone called me, I could say, yeah, this person has excellent skills, even if I don't have never met them. And that's what we're doing at the FMI. And we're seeing lots of interest all over the world at this point, because people are really keen to validate and prove this skill set.
0: T- tell me about some of your students. Are they people in fp a Are they financial analysts in smaller organizations? Are they uh, work for Big 8? Or, I, I, oh, I, I gave away my age, Big 8 firms. That, that's what I used to be a part oh, of. Oh, Big 8, gosh sorry about that um is it the big four the final four um are they you mentioned investment banking or is it everybody that that's going through fMI
1: well so it's interesting because I I happen to kind of wear two hats I you know founded and, and head up a training site on the marquee group and and I'm also the, the executive director Um, of the Financial Modeling Institute, sort of um, our independent accreditation body. And on both sides, we're seeing a wider and wider net of people that are interested in validating and learning these skills. They want – so on uh, training businesses, we're seeing a wider range of clients. I mean we – The Marquee Group runs training for new investment bankers, for for private equity professionals, for equity research groups, for corporate credit groups. We do work at a lot of big companies, Um, technology companies. We actually run training at law firms for people who want to understand this discipline. So we have a pretty wide um, pension funds clientele base, and we are seeing the FMI is a much younger organization, but we definitely see a pretty wide range of backgrounds and interests Everything from people want to validate their modeling skills and, and do the FMI exams, if they have corporate development backgrounds, if they are bankers, if they are um, students aspiring to get into, um, into a career in corporate finance and they want to prove their skills. So we are producing a pretty wide range. It's You know what? It's kind of ubiquitous. I mean, you know this as well as I do. It's choir talking to choir. But if you want to be involved in any role that requires you to forecast and plan and I always start some of our webinars. We have a free webinar series on financial modeling best practices. And I always start by saying, you know, what type of, what type of, what do you do with your models? What types of roles do they play? What kind of decisions do we make? Models, I tell people models have become the number one decision-making tool in all of finance. Everything from valuation decisions to investment decisions, to credit decisions, to decisions about um, allocations, to risk, to to staffing and planning are all based on the backs of well-built, strong financial models. So it doesn't matter where you go in accounting or finance. If you are going to be Thinking about those sorts of decisions, and those are all the decisions, then, or most of them, uh, in the world of finance. Then you need to be involved in in modeling. Modeling is pretty central.
0: I can it's already, important. I can already say I can listen to you all day. I want to, I want to tap into some of your. Most
1: people would not say that, but that's why we're becoming fast. Friends. Well, they're they're <laughs>
0: wrong. They're, they're 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 crazy. I want to tap into your. I want to tap into that tacit knowledge that you have just for a few minutes. I just want to throw out some, some big idea concepts. Uh, number one is tools versus methodology versus people. I hate the word versus, but tools slash methodology slash people. Of those three, in the world of financial modeling, what's the hardest? And it's not a trick question. I'm just, I want to just hear from someone who's been teaching this in coaching yeah. for a long time.
1: Well, I have to tell you to, to be perfectly honest, it, it's a different answer depending on who the student is, depending on who the audience is. For example, one of the things I will say, and I've already said this uh, today is, you know, with, with you. Is that what some people, what I love about financial modeling and a lot of people do is it's a classic multidisciplinary skill set. If you want to be a strong financial modeler. You need to have ex- excellent accounting skills because you need to understand how every single number within a company's financial statements talks to each other. And when your balance sheet's not balanced, to realize, oh my gosh, I've got a line on the cash flow statement that's not going anywhere on the balance sheet, or I've got a cost item that's not properly hitting through and, and reaching net income and hitting retained earnings, you got to be able to see and understand how the numbers talk to each other. So you need strong accounting skills. You need strong finance skills to be able to make decisions and, and build output calcs. You need excellent spreadsheet skills excel skills because that's the tool that we use and you need a really strong sense of design and presentation so that you can communicate often so when often when i've run courses You know, if I have, sometimes we get accountants who come to our class and they sometimes, you won't, you won't believe this, Mark, but occasionally an accountant will think, what could you possibly teach me about financial modeling? Because they come in thinking that they know a lot about accounting and they do. So they are well positioned on the accounting side, but they'll often discover that they have terrible Excel skills or that they have terrible, um, logic or design And when I say design, I mean both visual design and I mean spreadsheet design, designing the inner workings of the calculations and the spreadsheet. And so they'll realize they have strong accounting, which is good, but everything else is needs a lot of work. Or sometimes I get in real young whippers hot shots that have phenomenal Excel skills, and they don't understand how a non-controlling interest in a subsidiary has to properly flow through and add back a cash flow statement and touch an NCI line on the balance sheet, for example. They don't understand the accounting that underpins it. And so, you know, depending on where you come from, you will likely bring some strong, some strength, but have an area that you need to work on. Listen, there are so many, I learned something today new in Excel that I didn't know before, and it's a feature that's been around for 20 years and and i say, and I, I don't know everything about excel but i've been teaching advanced excel courses for 20 years and uh, I'm, so i'm not letting you,
0: i'm not letting you off the hook you have to say what that is
1: oh it's a it's a really interesting i mean you might know and you probably know i'm guessing you're strong in excel and you probably know that you can protect a, a spreadsheet so that if you email it to somebody that they can't um access it, or you could leave certain cells protected and certain cells unprotected so that if you want to make sure the formulas are locked, no one can play with them, but you can leave the input section unlocked so that they can make changes. What I was shown by one of my colleagues today is that imagine you had an assumption page with four different input areas, and this actually might be relevant to your business. Imagine you had one model of a company and you wanted to send it to the tax people to enter the tax assumptions and you wanted the ops people to enter the the cost assumptions and the, the sales team to enter the pricing assumptions. Well, you can have three different passwords so that each team can be given a password for their area. And so that one, the ops team can only unlock the cells that will allow them to enter as inputs for their, area. And, you know, the tax guys will only be able to enter the tax and everything else for them will be locked. Now, maybe you've already done that or used that, but I hadn't seen that before. It's a pretty pretty obscure um, skill. And I, you know, when we, so whenever we deliver webinars and teach people foundations, I always try and litter it and pepper it with, these hits, these quick dopamine hits, and I'll show people some really phenomenal tip or Excel that they say. People say how they get mad. They say, "How is it that I've been working in Excel for twenty years and no one ever showed me this amazing tip?" And I'll say, "I don't know who you know and why they why they didn't show you." But there's some really amazing things that people just don't know that kind of blows their minds, um, and we like to kind of include that. That's part of modeling. So, uh, answer your question: Was was that? It depends on where you come from. It's a lifelong skill to continue learning because there's always something to learn on the Excel side, on the design side, on the accounting side, on the finance side. And our job is to pull it all together.
0: I will probably be guilty of leading the witness. But for some young people that I have mentored in starting to do a model, they'll get started. It's like, no, I want you to take this legal pad and you need to go talk to the CMO to see how the numbers get into the funnel. Uh, you need to go talk to the CRO to see how many stages there are. So there's some communication skills that are important. Com- communication skills are absolutely critical in financial modeling. Do you feel like those may be maybe not emphasized enough just in your observing? Of, of people that you've mentored and coached and taught.
1: Yeah, I mean, certainly we certainly. I feel like you've probably been been in my class, hiding in the back of my classes for years. Because you're right, you're you're speaking um, the way I tend to speak, but you're 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 absolutely right. I think people sometimes have this notion that a financial modeler is is a is a person who spends. 99% of their day in the in the dark corner of a dark basement all by themselves, you know, punching away into a spreadsheet. And that is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. I mean, if you do, you're only getting a quarter of the way up the ladder. A true strong financial modeler. I actually ask, I always like to ask people, what percentage of their time do they think – a modeler should be spending in Excel when you're building a model. Cause I always tell people that as a rule of thumb, I would say if you're if you're been tasked to build a model, somewhere around 50% of your time should be in the spreadsheet. And the rest of it should be nowhere near Excel. So what is the rest of it? Well the rest of it is is in discussion. So when, when we run a modeling course or a webinar, I tell people that the mo- maybe the most important thing to do and certainly the first thing to do when building a model is to plan it. And planning it, and we give people a three-step process to properly plan a model. Because everyone wants to dive right into their spreadsheet. And and that's why I always joke with people that most models are a disaster. If you've ever, has anyone here, I'm, I'm wondering if any of your listeners have ever encountered a spreadsheet that was a disaster where they saw formulas that were wrapping around and around and they didn't understand it. That is a telltale sign that there was terrible planning. So I tell people that you need to plan it and we give them a three-stage structured process to plan. And it involves asking lots of questions and getting in front of all the right people and asking them about information and collecting it and organizing that data. And only then... Are you ready to start designing and organizing it? And modeling is a very iterative process. So you're going to get to a certain stage down the field and then you're going to present where you're at and make sure that you're as a set, you never want to just go back and present what's a near final version, because what if you, what if there was a miscommunication? So we show a draft and we present it and we communicate it and we get feedback and we're constantly iterating on that until um, that way the client's never surprised. And then when it gets to the finish line, Everyone says, "Yeah, that's exactly what we thought was going to happen." So, oh, there's an nin- there's leadership involved. There is uh, because you're leading people all over. You're trying to be the central focus person. You're communicating with people, presenting to people, and absolutely, it is a critical under under appreciated part of modeling.
0: I want this to be one of the coolest conversations ever in the podcast world about financial modeling. I may score maybe four out of 10, maybe 4.5 out of 10, but I want to throw out some words. Now this is not a word association game. I'm just going to throw out some terms and just spit out whatever comes to mind. So the first one, and these are financial modeling concepts, part of the financial modeling playbook or frameworks, which I know you guys are great at. But I'm going to throw out the term timeframe, as in by day, by week, by month, by quarter, or perhaps annually. So time frame, what comes to mind? What's the first thing you think about as you start teaching students time frame in financial models?
1: We refer to that as the model's periodicity. And periodicity represents the cadence, the timing. And what we tell people is there's no right answer. And periodicity represents two things. It's the integrals, it's the time, it's the way we're breaking up our time. And then it's the length. It's how far in the future are you forecasting? And sometimes I will tell people what's what's the right amount of time that you should be forecasting? Well, there's no right answer. The typical model is five to 10 years, but some models are shorter and some go longer. I tell people that the longest model I ever encountered was a client model a few years ago, and they decided they would be clever to forecast one hundred and twenty years, and I went and said, "Really, you guys are going to be dead by then? What do you like? What does it matter?" Was that an and oil said, well
0: yeah. or a gold mine or something like that? It was.
1: Um, it, <laughs> you're 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 bang on. It Timber. was in Timber. the chemical. It was in the chemical space. It was. Um, uh, yeah. It was. It was a. It was a resource business. It was a chemicals uh, business. It was a fertilizer business. And yes, they were forecasting out the life of the mine and but there was no point. And uh, so they cut it back to 60 years. But the point is you need to decide length. You need to decide um, uh, frequency. Now, what I will say is there's no right answer. It comes to the, the upfront planning, two things. It com- the upfront planning will determine the appropriate periodicity. Usually when you ask someone, why did you build this model monthly or quarterly? They'll say, oh, well, because that's what we always do. Or because that's what Mark does or because that's what Mark said his boss does, right? Whereas what we encourage, and by the way, the second point is periodicity is when you first build a model at a certain frequency, it's very difficult to change it later, right? If you've decided to build a model five years monthly and then you decide, oops, let's do it quarterly instead, that is not easy. You want to make sure you've nailed that right properly up front so people don't want to change it later. Get sign off. Um, and I will also tell people right now that one of the most difficult things technically is, and you've probably seen this is when people build models with different shades of periodicity, so they might include let's say quarters and annual periods. You've probably seen this. What did they do? The columns imagine the columns from left to right, they'll go q one, q two q three, q four, and then what's the next column mark? what do they go, go q one two when the spreadsheet they'll say q one Q4. and then they'll go annual, right. They'll do one, two, three, four annual. Then they'll have the next. They'll do Q one of the next year, Q two of the next year, three, four, and then annual. And that becomes an enormous problem. Technically, it's very challenging in a spreadsheet when you have, let's say, four quarters, and then the, the fifth column is the annual one because that fifth column now has to have a different formula than what was in the quarterly columns. Right? The the the, the annual column is adding up the four quarters. So. We discover mistakes all the time when people do that because it means you cannot simply build one formula and copy it all the way across. Every fifth column, you have to do something different. Um, and so it becomes a mess. And so there's a lot of ideas. So you asked about time periods. It's extremely important. We encourage people to ask how long is appropriate, what cadence is appropriate, and then we want to make sure that they've designed it. Ideally, keep the quarters all together, keep the years all together. It ensures that you will have accuracy. And then summarize, build a summary table later that shows, you know, Q1 2 3 4 annual, but do not model that way.
0: I want to throw another term at you. Now, I I am a Tableau junkie. I know you guys teach Power BI, which is a powerful uh, tool. So, in the world of Tableau, we use a term and actually it came from Tableau lod level of detail so i've just have borrowed that term from the tableau people and i love that terminology what level of detail so financial modeling and lod what comes to mind when you think about what level of detail in a model so it's an it's an
1: excellent question what you i don't even know if you did this on purpose deliberately um but you've ca- when you talked about so think about this in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, the time period, the periodicity issue, is what we will refer to as the um, as sort of the the horizontal level of detail because that's what's going across the columns horizontally, and the level of detail in terms of operating lines what we refer to as the vertical level of detail. Both of them require enormous amount of thinking, questioning, and planning. Um to make sure that the and there's no right answer. Just like I said, there's no right answer to whether a model should be monthly. Usually when I ask someone why is your model monthly, if they say, well, I don't know, it's because it's monthly, because that's what Mark always does, chances are it probably doesn't need to be monthly. But if they, and, and we might change it, but if they give me a good answer, they, they say, well, we're trying to measure seasonality. So we want to see monthly, se- great, then keep it monthly. I don't care. Just make sure that it makes sense. Same thing when you get into vertical orientation, vertical detail. What is the right answer for the level of detail? It depends on what you need. Um, and I can tell you more often than not, people tend to err on the side of having much too much detail you probably won't be shocked to hear that so for instance i once i once um um uh, was modeling it was involved with a company and their their revenue calculation buildup was over a thousand rows. And that's because they had, they sold 300 different products. So they actually forecasted sales volumes for 300 different products. So the first 300 rows were on volumes. Then they had 300 rows to show the prices of each of those products. And then they multiplied A times B and they got to the revenue for each of the 300 products. So you had 300, 300, you had to almost a thousand rows to build up revenue. That's fine. But of course, as you know, like in most business, 80% 80% of the revenue came from the top five, um, and the remaining 295 products represented 5% or 10% of the revenue, and it made it, 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 you know, there's 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 a phrase I like to use in modeling, and that is that there is an illusion of accuracy. When you have detail, detail creates an illusion of accuracy that's not necessarily There. Just because you have the and usually so whenever I ask someone why did you model why did you model three hundred rows or a a thousand rows of revenue they'll they'll recoil they'll say oh well it's because we have the data that's the answer if you ask someone why did you model look I I once looked at a model. And they mod, they had, a, you know, a couple thousand employees and they literally listed every, every person in the model. So there was Mark and Mark's salary. And then they had Joanna and Joanna's salary. And they literally listed every single person and that person's salary. So it took thousands of rows. And we said, well, why did you do that? And they said, well, well, because we had the data. Just because you have the data doesn't mean that that's how you should be modeling the data. And it creates this illusion of accuracy just because it's there. So our recommendation in the planning process is to understand what's the right level of detail that you need to make the right decisions make sure you're capturing fixed and variable and semi variable costs make sure you're capturing the major um drivers of revenue but beyond that you may not need to go further and again i'm not telling you what the right answer is but i'm going to ask enough questions so that we agree and come to consensus
0: I'm here to tell you i'm going to hold you to this you are going to write a book it's going to be called something like the conceptualization uh, of financial modeling, and get some good marketer or can come up with a better name. Th- this is really good stuff. You need to help me create a financial modeling hall of fame because you are going to have your own yeah. wing. You are going to have your own wing. Really? Yes. Yes. Wow,
1: I've, that's incredible. I have to find some benefactors <laughs> to donate to this.
0: I have one. I have one more item. I and I, I think are, are, first of all, are we okay with time? I promise we'll go. Totally. Uh, one more of all the models i've looked at and have observed including my own the integration of actuals with the mo- to me it's easy to plan but now we've got to or should be integrating the actuals with the plan st- yeah. i don't want to yeah. ask a question but i'll just i'll just use the phrase integration of actuals What's in your mind right now when in the context of financial modeling we
1: we'll, we say rolling a model uh integration of actuals creates an enormous headache for people because of the idea of rolling the model. Imagine you had a ten year model that went from two thousand and twenty one until two thousand and thirty okay? you had a ten year model, and the first forecast year was two thousand and twenty one Well, then suddenly you get into two thousand and twenty two and two thousand and twenty one becomes actual and the results are known. So you no longer need to forecast 2021. What you need to do in your model is you need to take a column that used to be a forecast year with formulas and replace it with the actuals. And so that is called rolling the model. Now the model no longer needs to forecast from 2021 to 30, but from 2022 to 2031, it's got to roll forward and people make a huge mess out of that because what they'll do is they'll override their formulas for 2021, used to have a bunch of formulas, and they'll just type in hard, dead numbers that represent the actuals, and they get into a lot of trouble doing that. One of the biggest causes of frustration is rolling models, which is again when you a period that used to be a forecast period has now become an actual. So we have a whole system and approach that we use to make it very dynamic. Uh, in a, in a, in in a nutshell, the simple answer is it is ideal in a model to have one sheet called actuals or historicals, and it can run out for a hundred columns that are blank, and you can even have the right column periods, and they're mostly stay empty. And as soon as a period gets released as and announced, you go to that blank column, and it'll be the next one that's blank, and you literally go down the column and you enter the data. You know, in models, of course, input cells should be blue, so they'll be blue numbers, and suddenly you have one new column of actuals, and then using the appropriate lookup function technology, the model will have automatically recognized that you put in another column of actuals and it will automatically move itself forward to be capturing the next 10 periods from there. So you'll be forecasting it by using it. It gets it can get a little bit detailed, but nothing crazy. It effectively makes the model feel like a piece of software because the user doesn't have to fight with formulas and always be copying and adding more things in. They enter their historicals, and the model starts to roll forward from them. And so rolling technology is important, and and it's a really important concept. You know, it's not that important for models used for deals. Investment bankers don't need to know this because mostly investment bankers are building models that are transactional for the purpose of an acquisition or a deal. And then, then when the deal's done, they park that model never to look at it again, and then they build a new model for the next deal. It's critically important in the world of FP&A when you're using your models over and over as a regular planning and forecasting tool. And that's why you need to make sure your models can roll.
0: I still believe something, I, I go back to the very, very beginning. So I understand who you, your typical students are, but even though this is a very, what I would call a slippery type of, of customer uh, cohort, hard hard to ring them in, I still believe that not startups, because I don't view a startup as a business, they're kind of pre-business, but entrepreneurs who have been at this three to five to seven years, financial modeling is so critical for them. Now, they may not be the ones that have to do the work, do the modeling, but they, I mean, every business I work with, they've never been exposed to any type of business modeling. So I'm just throwing it out there Ian that I just think there's a there may be an interesting course out there the 101 the simple masterclass for entrepreneurs what to look for as they try to bring in this this tool set to their management to their their thinking as you said earlier.
1: Well I think you're right. I mean the reality is that every I actually I actually do believe that even and I I agree with you. I mean early stage venture based businesses, startups They're not full-fledged operating businesses yet, but models are just as important for them because, you know, I've been involved with some early stage businesses and why is it important? One business I worked with needed a very robust forecast so that we could enter into a lease arrangement with a landlord and the landlord agreed to lease the space to us. This was for a brewery. Because they were very confident in our financial capability to forecast the business. They, they realized that we would be viable. They were, they were comfortable in our, in our, the way we thought through our own business. And that helped them get comfortable around renting the space to us. And by the same token, the, uh, the bank was very comfortable lending us the amount we wanted to buy all the tanks and the the capital because of comfort into, you know, it is a thing. Modeling goes so much more than just about decision-making. It creates confidence. And that's what we tell people. When you show someone a well-designed, well-built model, they have enormous confidence in your skills, in your capabilities, and in your ability to make it work. Whereas when your spreadsheets are a mess, they assume that everything in your mind is a mess and that it's going to be very difficult for you to kind of cohesively in an organized way, work through your business plan. So I think that all startups need it. And I think that all entrepreneurs and businesses need it at whatever stage because they're trying to tell a story. The model has to tell a story. Uh, And so, yes, I agree with you, you know, and and it is a skill and and a toolkit that all business owners should have.
0: So you're on CFO Bookshelf. We ask everybody this question. What are some of your favorite books of all time? And it does. And by the way, it doesn't have to be business related either.
1: Yeah, no, sure. I I wasn't going to tell you a business related book. Um, I, um, over the last few years, I have really enjoyed reading um, Sapiens uh, by Noah Yuval Harari. You have probably um, heard of that. That has really had a powerful impact on my outlook and appreciation of history and where we've come from and, and where we are going. So that was something that I uh, really enjoyed. Uh, read uh, another book that I enjoyed recently, a couple of years ago was The Power of Fame, a classic book called The Power of Gold by Peter Bernstein on uh, the history of of this shiny yellow commodity that has gone on to create more bloodshed and, and tears and death than just about anything else. Um, so that's sort of an interesting historical concept. I like uh, one more... Uh, I like history as well and um, biographies and um, one of one of the greatest uh, we well, probably is the greatest uh, uh, biographer biography writer in the uh, of all time and that's Robert Caro who's written the series on um, Lyndon Johnson uh, and 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 the one that I read a couple years ago is called Master of the Senate. Are you familiar with the series? Robert Caro wrote. Do you know it?
0: I'm you know, very uh, power broker as well
1: he wrote the power broker, which is the book on Robert Moses. The, yes. the, uh, effectively the, the Robert was, York. was the architect of New York city. And after he wrote the power broker,
0: he did the LBJ.
1: He decided to dedicate the rest of his life to writing a five part series on Lyndon Johnson and on the history of the civil rights movement. So, each of his books has taken him 10 years to write. I believe he's now in this series. And um, so he's got – the first book is about Lyndon Johnson's early years, and then the next one is on his time in, in, uh, in Congress, and then, and then the third one's on the Senate, and then the time as pres- vice president. the time is, um, And so each book has – each of his books has won the Pulitzer Prize. And gone on to become bestsellers, and they're just brilliantly written. They're a thousand pages. You could read one sentence and think, "Wow, it must have taken him a month to research that one sentence." And um, and he just has a very fluid, you know, beautiful way of writing. And so, if you have a chance, uh, the first the first hundred pages of Master in the Senate, he wanted readers to understand the way the U.S. Senate works. So he spends one hundred pages or more explaining the history of the Senate. Um, it's the best written explanation on the Senate that I think exists, and the book hasn't even started.
0: And LBJ Actually. knew how to work that system. If not civil rights, there is no civil rights reform. Yes, as right. we knew it back in that time frame. Uh, that That's I, right. I someday I will go through that trilogy. Uh, I kind of shortchanged the process. I read Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh, one of her books earlier this year, and she devoted uh, part of her book to LBJ. And I came away respecting him as not just as a human being, but as someone who could truly govern. Now, if you take out some of the Vietnam era, tough situation. I don't know who, I don't think anyone could have won or come out uh, in flying colors during that time period, but pre-Vietnam, just a brilliant, uh, person of governance. He he yes. knew how, and he was great with people. So he
1: knew, well, and the fascinating thing is in given the time and that the only medium, the only medium to communicate was through television is that the way the American people saw him was very different than what he was actually like. He was apparently a very, very colorful dynamic, you know, larger than life personality, but for reasons um you know he 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 decided to that in front of the television cameras he needed to be stilted and and um and and kind of a little bit more cardboard and so was uh, was only later that that his sort of real colors and personality came out but um yeah no it's it, fascinating his series is 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 as much about the era and about the movement, and it uses Lyndon Johnson as the primary character to um, to define and discuss this entire era. So it, it will absolutely go down as a, you know, one of the great series ever written.
0: Ian, you've got the mic. Uh, websites, how to reach out? Where where can people learn more about financial modeling? It is,
1: well, for through our, I've talked about two businesses. We've got the Marquee Group. M-A-R-Q-U-E group. The M-A-R-Q-U-E-E group, themarqueegroup.com is, is a business that we run training courses all over the world, both self-study and uh, and right now everything else is through Zoom virtual. And then the accreditation practice that we've been working with a bunch of others to build globally is called the Financial Modeling Institute, fminstitute.com, and we are working hard. Uh, the former CEO of the CFA Institute is going to be joining us very soon, so this is a um, – yeah, he's a big fan of what we're doing. He's going to be joining our team. This is a uh, this is insider information, but um he's going to be joining us as a board member and as a team member to help. He's a passionate believer in what we're doing and the importance of modeling so we're pleased to welcome him and uh, be announcing that shortly so yeah it's um that's how you can find us and i'm on linkedin and and i'm always happy to chat with people so don't be shy um, to find me it's ian schnor
0: you are the best thank you for being on the show thank you very much for having
1: me it's been a real pleasure to be here love chatting with fellow modelers so thank you and thanks everyone for listening
0: You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandy. In Snor, I cannot thank you enough. I think I need to have my people talk to your people to plan conversation number two. Before we wrap up, how about five quick questions related to our conversation on financial modeling? Number one, and this is a hard one, even if you are a CEO or COO, could you create a model of your business right now? How would you get started? Number two, regarding planning a model, Ian says only 50% of the time, should be spent on the Excel, the spreadsheet part itself. What about the other 50%? What's the other 50% used for when you're not in front of the spreadsheet? Number three, Ian calls financial modeling a multidisciplinary skill. What does he mean by that? Number four, I prefer the term business modeling over financial modeling. What do those terms mean to you? How are they different? Number five, the last one, and this will require some thinking. What is the difference between component thinking and systems thinking? Now, this question is tightly integrated with the one before on financial modeling versus business modeling. Again, what's the difference between component thinking? and systems thinking. And that, by the way, is absolutely critical for anyone in entrepreneurial financial management. Thank you for listening to CFO Bookshelf. Hey, look me up on LinkedIn. Tell me what you are thinking and what you like about the show. And many thanks to Ian Snure. I want to hear more from him and we're going to make that happen. Keep learning, keep growing, keep making a difference. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf.